Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. Hey, I just want to welcome Wanita, welcome Full Throttle down there, North Judson, our Westville campus, man, MPH. Come on, would you give all of the online? People are watching all over. We have, we have over 500 people that will be watching at some time today, this afternoon, this evening. And uh, so God's just doing some amazing things. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8 if you have them. If you don't, just grab your worship guide. Hopefully you got one of these. If you didn't get one when you come in, just raise your hand. We're going to have uh, some pastors or greeters stand by and just look if there's a hand raised up. This gives you some notes to take over and be able to look over throughout the week. Uh, You know, I I love children. I love the fact, you know, particularly when children are raised in the church, they just have a just a great sense of 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 humor. Sometimes, a little boy was attending his first wedding with his cousin, and after the wedding, he asked his cousin, "How many women can a man actually marry?" His cousin responded, "Sixteen." His cousin was amazed that he knew the answer so quickly. He said, how did you know that? He just said, he said, it's very simple. Didn't you hear the pastor say, a man can have four for better, four for worse, four for richer, four for poor. And how many men in the house? No, I'm not going to go there. Here's one. After a dedication service, a baby brother of his baby brother in the church, little Johnny, was sobbing all the way home in the back seat of the car. His father asked him several times what was wrong. Finally, his little brother, finally the little boy responded, the pastor said that he wanted my brother to be brought up in a Christian home. And the dad said, well, yeah, what's the problem? He said, "But yeah, but I wanted him to stay with us. Kids know, don't they know? Come on. Pastor was shaking hands after service, worship service, and a mother with a fidgety seven-year-old boy told the pastor how she finally got her son to sit still and be quiet. The pastor said, well, what did you do? She said, well, about halfway through your sermon, I leaned over and whispered, if you don't be quiet, the pastor's going to lose his place, and he'll have to start his sermon all over again. So, just to warn you, if you don't be quiet, I may start all over again. You know, I I love this question that we're going to look at this morning. It's just a very simple question, where is your faith? And uh, how many, how many's ever been a part of the trust fall? You've been in a leadership team, and uh, you know the trust fall is where you gather a group of people around, and uh, you know you're, you're supposed to kind of free fall into their arms. That develops trust. Anybody ever been a part of something like that? You know, well, look at this one. See, see, see if you don't think this might not be the way to do it. And we'll just, it'll be an exercise in building trust between one another. So Harrison, if you don't mind going first, uh, step up here on this chair and close your eyes. All right. And then everybody fill in. He's all in. And we're going to ask you to fall and then they will catch you. So you have to trust us. I'm going to count to three. 
Just relax and fall, okay? One, yeah. two, three. No, wait, no, no! <laughs> Gone wrong just a little bit, right? Maybe he didn't give him enough directions of what that's going to be about. Oh, I love that. You know, I now show you that because oftentimes that there are people who criticize people who talk about having faith. And, and they, they, they many times assume that, that Christians don't know who we believe is going to catch us when we fall. You know, that a lot of times that there's people who believe that we blindly just follow God or we don't use our intellect at all, and, and yet most of us in this room, we understand the fact that, that as followers of Christ, we can trust that when we have any situation in our life going on, we can fall and he's going to be there to catch us, right? We, we believe that. Years ago, a, a pastor told me, he said, Phil, here's what you need to learn. He said, faith honors God, and God honors faith, okay? Faith honors God, and God honors faith. So this morning, I'm going to take you to Luke chapter 8. I'm going to take you in, a, in, in the story, the life story of Jesus and his disciples and look at and, and look at how this question comes about. The Bible says this, starting in verse 22, one day, he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the way. So they set out, and as they sailed, he, talking about Jesus, fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. So notice the fear and the panic that's happening. And he, talking about Jesus, awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Now, now, many of us in this room know that most people can, can get trapped in their fears or their worries or their anxiety and panic simply because of faith, simply because of where our faith is. And so when we talk about faith, and, and, and particularly in a church, and, and people say, well, what, what is faith, Pastor? Is it is just trying to be positive? Is, it, is faith positive thinking? Is it, is it some feeling that you have when you have it, and some feeling that is missing when you don't have it? Is, is faith tied to a church affiliation? Is, is faith something that's just about being bold or confident? Or is faith something more than that? I love what Hebrews 11 and 6 says. The Bible states, and watch this, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, that, that, that's an incredible statement when you stop and think about it. Yet it's in the Bible. And we have to take it exactly for what it says. The Bible says without faith, a person can, can do absolutely nothing 
in pleasing God if we don't have proper faith. Without faith, there's no hope. There, there's no possibility of pleasing God. Now, I don't know about you. That, that's pretty serious business, isn't it? The Bible talks about faith being multifaceted in that the Bible teaches us that we're, we're saved by faith. We, we, we live by faith. We walk by faith. But the Bible simply says without it, we cannot please God. But here's the great thing. The Bible teaches us that faith is a gift. I hear people come to me and say, you know, Pastor, I just, I just feel like I, I just don't have faith. No, everybody's got faith. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 3. The Bible said the measure of faith that God has assigned us. In other words, the Bible teaches us that faith is given to every person in this room, everybody watching, there is a measure of faith that God has assigned us. And without faith, we're lost. Without faith, we, we, we cannot achieve anything. But with faith, the Bible says we, we can speak to mountains and they will be removed. So, so no matter what circumstance we're in, no, no matter what crisis that we're going through, the Bible teaches us if we have faith, it's going to please God. He gives us the measure of faith. And I've discovered in my own life, it's, it's how, how I respond to, to those circumstances or life situation that, that determines whether or not I'm going to grow up in Christ or it's going to grind me down and destroy me. How people see me responding, how people see you responding to your crisis is going to give and determine whether or not you have a positive testimony or you have a negative testimony. So what's let me, let me just set the, set the scene for just a few minutes. Jesus and his disciples are, are encountering the, this fear-provoking circumstance that is about to teach them a lesson. Now, it happens that this storm that they're going through, it's in very familiar waters. It's the Sea of Galilee. Most church historians say that many of these disciples were fishermen. They were very familiar with the Sea of Galilee. They grew up in that area. And many of them had actually made their living fishing. And yet on this day, as they sailed over the little lake, on this occasion, they found themselves confronted with such a storm that was coming down off across the mountain, across the lake, and it just made sailing impossible. And they felt like they were going to perish. Now, in the story, we see Jesus' fully humanity and his divinity. It shows he's fully God and he's fully man. For the Bible talks about, it's not there for, for just an extra word. The Bible says that Jesus was weary. He was tired from, from what was happening. He'd been doing all kinds of ministry. Things was happening. And as man, he grew weary. And he, went, he goes to the front of the ship and he lays down without Tylenol PM, without melatonin. <laughs> Hello. He's tired. He works hard, and, and, and the Bible says he just goes to sleep. And the disciples begin to see the water filling up in the boat, and there's so much fear that come upon them. They, they wake him up, and they say, Master, Master, we're going to perish. Now, what's this? I, I, want, I, want to, I want to give you two great lessons about faith real quickly, and then we're going to get to the story. What is God saying to us? First of all, write this down. Faith, faith in itself does not prevent storms of life. 
faith in itself. Listen, you've got to be clear on, on the purpose of this question that Jesus is asking. Where is your faith? Because, again, we, we have people and there's churches that, that try to tell people sometime and they, 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 get, they get overwhelmed by guilt and condemnation because they go into a trial, they're going through a storm, they're going through a difficulty, and somebody will say, well, if you just had enough faith. Come on, you ever heard that? If you, if you just really believe more. Now, listen, everybody's got faith. It determines where is our faith. That, that's what we have to determine. We're going to look at that. Write this down. Jesus is not holding the, the disciples responsible for the storm. He is going to hold them responsible for their response to the storm. Oh, good preaching right there. i got to preach right there. Listen, listen, some of us, some of us think that Jesus holds us accountable for the difficulties and circumstances. Of, and, and, and there are some times we, we have to be held accountable, but I'm not, I'm not there yet. Listen, when we experience a storm, when we go through difficulties of life, listen, many, many times it's easy to give way to the natural human emotion called fear. Come on. Everybody in this room, everybody watching knows what it is to deal with some type of fear in your life. The, 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 the eight biggest fears that's been identified are the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, the fear of change, the fear of public speaking, the fear of imperfection or not being good enough, the, the fear or the phobia of being vulnerable, have, have vulnerability, the fear of time, the fear of loneliness. But listen, every one of those phobias, Every one of those fears is tied. The underlining phobia is the fear of death. The disciples wasn't just afraid of the storm. They were afraid the storm was going to take them out. They had the fear of dying. The disciples were afraid. And their fear caused them to take their eyes off of Jesus and put their eyes on the storm. So what's it? Here, here's, here's where it brings an interesting question. So if Jesus doesn't hold the disciples responsible for the storm, but the response to the storm, who is responsible for the storm? Where did this storm come from? Well, there, there's two main thoughts that, that, that surfaces among most uh, theologians and scholars. The first of all is that the enemy causes storms. Come on. The, you know, Satan is our adversary. You understand that? Satan, many, many times, the prince and the power of the air, listen, so many times, because we're following Jesus, because we've said yes to him, because we surrendered our life, listen, many, many times, Satan will deliberately set his mind and his attacks, it's like hanging a bullseye around our neck. And he said, you call yourself a Christian, I'm going to put you through everything. There are many theologians that believe that Satan at this moment was making an open attempt on the life of Jesus and his disciples. If somehow or another that he could cause the storm to sink the ship, sending Jesus and his disciples to the bottom of that lake, then he would have been effective in ending the mission of Jesus Christ. Now listen, every one of us knows that Satan makes it his business to make life as followers of Jesus as hard as possible. Come on, am I preaching to anybody yet? 
All you have to do is think about the servant Job in the Old Testament. Listen, the enemy stirred up the storms around Job's life. Job would have probably never gone through the storm had it not been for his outstanding faith in God. You understand that? It was the enemy. And listen, even our faith in God cannot prevent some storm from happening to us. I want you to hear that. Some of you need to understand. Listen, it isn't how much you pray. It isn't how much you go to church. It isn't how much you give. It isn't how hard you try that sometimes can stop a storm from happening. We live in this broken world. We live in a time when bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And we have to understand sometimes that the enemy will put his target around you and says, I'm going to do everything I I can to take you out. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Some of you went through that. Some of you have looked at your life and you say, wow, you know, I didn't, I didn't know I was going to have so much trouble until I gave my life to Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. I start going to church. I start tithing and giving and stewarding my time and my temple, my talent and my treasure. Then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Welcome to God's team, okay? Understand that. But if Satan didn't cause this, he could. Some say that the Lord may have stirred up the storm. Now, listen, here's what we have to understand. Ultimately, no storm happens against any follower of Jesus without divine permission. Every storm, listen, every difficulty that Satan can come against us with, listen, he works within the limitations that the imposed will of God will bring about in our lives. So it may well be that Jesus is allowing this storm because he's about to teach them a lesson. We're going to learn the lesson in a minute. This is nothing more than just a normal part of the weather pattern that's happening. And Jesus is allowing this. He's allowing this to take place. It's a part of God's natural laws. And listen, we we live in a world today that God has already set certain laws in the motion. And sometimes these laws may confront us with the storms and difficulty of life. I was in a conversation the other day, and a gentleman said to me, and I I wrote it down because it was just so thought-provoking. He said, Pastor, every single one of us is trying to be delivered from something or trying to overcome something or trying to forget or get past something. Every one of us are trying to be delivered from something. We're we're trying to get over something. We're trying to forget something or get past something. What do you mean? Listen, we live in a broken world. And I guarantee you there's people in this room that you have been wounded, you have been hurt, you have been damaged by the decisions and the behavior of somebody else. It had nothing to do with you. You had no control over it, but you found yourself in a situation where the behavior that that person had toward you, it brought great harm and damage to your life. I was in a meeting last night. I won't tell you where. But I was in a group of bikers that I got invited. For some of you, don't, don't, this would be considered a 1% group. And I walked into the, it was by invitation. We walk in, 
And this gentleman looks at us and he starts this conversation. Immediately, he goes in and says, well, what's, what's the Christian group doing here? You guys usually stay away from us. You usually stay among your own little group. You're afraid of us. And then he said, but who did Jesus go to? He went to the effing people and to the effing this. And he went, and he did, he did, and I just stand there just looking at him. And he just goes for about three or four minutes. And finally I say, but I'm here. But I'm here. And I said, I'm here for a reason. We sort of have a conversation. And then as the conversation began to unveil, listen, you would be amazed how many in that group, now listen, some of them may be watching, so I want to be careful, but how many in that group, their father was a pastor. Their grandfather was a preacher. They grew up in church. What happened? They got hurt. They got wounded. They got disappointed. They got kicked out because of behaviors and attitude. And you know what? They're looking for a group. They're looking for community. And they find it sometime in these groups. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus Christ came seeking the lost. He came looking for those that are hurt and they're wounded. Everybody we meet, is trying to get over something, trying to get through, trying to forget something. Sometimes it happens to other people. Sometimes, listen, there are people in this room just like me. Listen, we understand because of our wrong or bad or sinful choices, we've hurt or wounded or damaged ourselves or somebody else. It isn't their fault. It's simply our fault. Now, here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that God, out of his love, because he loves us so much, he doesn't abandon us. He wants us to learn. He wants to teach us during our struggles. There's a scripture. I don't have time to to preach it, but write down Isaiah 42 and 23. If you read Isaiah 42 and then read Isaiah 43, Isaiah 42 and 23 says this, which of you will listen to this or pay attention in time to come? Who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to the plunders. Who did that? Who gave them over? Because, listen, was it not the Lord against whom they had sinned? Now, what's this? For they would not follow his ways. They did not obey his law. Now, listen, I grew up in a home where I got whoopings. Now, I know some of you are so sophisticated. You said, Pastor, I never got a whooping. I got a spanking. I didn't get a spanking. I got a whooping. I was raised by a World War II veteran, okay? And uh, when I did something wrong, out of love, out of, out of him wanting to get me back on the right path, listen, he would, he would pick me up. And he would lay a whooping on me. I, I, I tried putting padding in my pants sometime. I put firecrackers because I love to watch cartoons. I put firecrackers in there thinking that when my dad whooped me, you know, the smoke would come out. It didn't happen. Those firecrackers did not go off. That cartoon lied to me. I'm thinking if my dad thinks he's setting my pants on fire, he'd quit. It just made him that much more upset at me. Come on. Now, listen, now I know some of us, we, we, we want to look at God and we want to talk about God so tidy and nice and we want to talk about his love. But listen, the truth is there are times that we can step over line and God, out of his love, will sometimes allow us to experience a whooping. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It just means out of that love, we're going to experience sometime out of our own choice, we're going to experience his tough love. Now listen, let me explain to you. Which of you as a parent, 
Which of you is a grandparent? You're walking somewhere across a busy, busy parking lot, and your child pries their hand out of your hand and takes off running across that parking lot. Your heart sinks. Come on. You, you almost stop breathing, and then you take off running. And when you catch up with them, you grab them right there in public, and I'm going to spank you. I'm going to. You scared me to death. Bless God. Don't you F. Come on. You ever did that? Now, does it mean you hate your child? No, no, no. You love that child. That car didn't kill him, but Papa's going to. And listen, you, and you, you finally calmed down a little bit and said, listen, if you're going to run out in front of a car, don't do an old Chevy. Run out in front of a Cadillac. At least if you get hit, we might get some money. But, but listen, it's, it's out of that love. It's out of that love. That sometimes God allows us to experience our bad choices and our bad, our bad decision. He says, I love you, but you chose to run out in front. Come on, you understand that? There's some of us in this room. It isn't because God didn't love us. He loved us, and he said, you chose to take your hand out of my hand. And God often will allow us to be confronted by those fear-provoking circumstances. Why? To know we got to turn to him. we got to trust him. So watch this. Our faith cannot prevent the storms from coming. Listen, your faith, my faith, cannot prevent storms from coming. But listen, our faith can prevent storms from destroying us. Listen, my faith can't keep them from coming, but my faith can keep them from destroying me. Listen, every day, faith will help us to confront the storms of this life. Well, I don't know. We may have economic storms. We may have vocational storms. We may have physical storms, relationship storms. It doesn't matter. Faith makes the difference in how we deal with our storms. I can't stop them from coming. But my faith is going to enable me to not that storm, not to destroy me. So here, so, so faith doesn't prevent storms. So write this down. Faith does prevent fear. Now watch this. The greatest lesson that we can learn here is while these disciples are threatened, they're, they're, they're fearful of these circumstances, Jesus asked them this very simple question. Where is your faith. Now watch this. Write this down. Fear can be a sign of a failure of our faith. Fear can be a sign of the failure of our faith. Now, now, listen. Their response, again, it's very natural. Their response of seeing this overwhelming storm and focusing on the storm, it is a natural response to be fearful. They were fishermen. They, they had sailed it. But listen, this storm appeared to be bigger and greater than any storm. So they have a natural response. But listen, here's the thing. You've got to remember, this wasn't supposed to just be natural men riding with Jesus. The, these disciples had Jesus himself on board the ship. They, they, they simply allowed the storm to cause them to forget that Jesus is able to get them through the other side, and they do not have to be moved by fear. Listen, it was Jesus when he got in the boat. We read it. He said, let's go over to the other side. 
Jesus said it. You follow? He said it. The disciples, Jesus is the one who said, God, we're going over. Everybody in this room, listen, everybody know what it is to fear at one time or another. But the question, listen, fear, the fear that you and I experience doesn't come and should not come from circumstances. But when we acknowledge, when we understand the fear that is happening is coming from these disciples. It isn't the storm. They've already seen Jesus do so many things. Listen, he asked them, where is your faith? Fear caused the failure of their faith. Their focus, their attention was on the storm. When they had Jesus on board the ship. Oh, listen, somebody going to get this right. Write this down. Faith that prevents fear learns how to rest in Jesus. Because this, this is what Jesus wanted from this group of disciples. He wanted them to look at him in the midst of this dangerous situation. Jesus isn't calling attention to their, adequ- uh, their, their, their adequacy of faith in general. Because listen, they had faith. But where was their faith? Their faith was in the storm. Come on, are you getting this? I better get my horn. Their faith was in the storm. They had faith that the storm was going to take them out, but would they have faith that Jesus was going to take them through? Come on, come on. Listen, they, they, listen some of you have faith that this is going to take you out. Some of you have faith that this is it for you. Some of you have faith you won't get through this one. I'm challenging you. Will you have faith that Jesus is the one that can get you through to the other side? That's where our faith is. They believed the storm was strong enough to take them out. Would they believe that Jesus had the power and he cared enough to get them through? Wow. Where's your faith? They had the measure of faith. Jesus had already been talking to, read the verses prior to where I started reading. He was talking about them, the power of sowing the word. And he said this to them. He said, you have to be careful what you hear. Faith is trusting in the person and the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus had given them so many indications of who he really was. He, had, he was constantly revealing to them that he was truly the Messiah, the Son of God. And listen, did, did, did they really believe that the Son of God is going to be swallowed up in a little storm on the Sea of Galilee? Did they really believe this is how Jesus is going out? This is how it's all going to end? It, listen, it was a rebuke to their unbelief and their refusal to trust in his word. Because when Jesus woke up, the Bible says he stood up and he just said, hush, peace, be still. It's like the the Greek says, it's just like, you know, a a parent putting their, their finger over the mouth and saying, shh, shh. The authority of the parent will look at a child and all you have to do is look at your child and say, shh, hush. Hush. And the Bible said when Jesus did that, they responded with awe and asked, what kind of a man is this? 
Well, that's just it. He wasn't just a man. You understand? Listen, get, 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 get your faith ready. Listen, he wasn't just a man. Listen, Je- listen. many people know about Jesus, but we do we really know Jesus? I, I said this morning in the first service, we got a lot of people that are orthodoxy, but you're not orthopraxy. You've got orthodox in your mindset. You can tell me about God. You can tell me about the history of God. But listen, orthodoxy only knows about him. Orthopraxy is what we experience, what we get up every day with that relationship. And it's not just about believing the right thing. It's about behaving with Jesus Christ dominating your life. You see, a lot of us, we, 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 we don't understand the power of who this is. Jesus says, listen, you, 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 you know me, but, but, but you don't know me. He, listen, what, what, what he's challenging us today, ha, have we committed ourselves to the one that is able to handle any crisis that we're going to go through? We don't know what 2023 is going to hold. Don't put your hope in 2024. Don't think there's going to be some savior that's going to ride on some horse and fix everything. China, Russia, all this crazy stuff, ballooned, all this stuff. Listen, it's not going to happen politically. I tell you where our faith has got to be. Our faith has got to be in Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of history. He is the almighty God, the son of the living God, and he has power to speak to every storm. Well, I know about him. Jesus said, yeah, but do you know me? In Genesis, I was the seed of woman. In Exodus, I was the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, I'm the high priest. In Numbers, I'm the pillar by cloud by day and the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, I'm the prophet like in the Moses. In Joshua, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. In Judges, I'm the judge and the lawgiver. In Luth, I'm our kingsman, redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, I'm the seed of David. First and Kings and Chronicles, I am the reigning king. Do you know who I am? Do, do you understand that I'm able to speak? In Ezra, he's a faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's a rebuilder of everything broken. In Esther, he's the, Morde, the Mordecai and our advocate. In Job, he is our everlasting redeemer. In Psalm, he's a shepherd. In Proverbs, he's our wisdom. In, in Ecclesiastes, he's the meaning of life. In the Song of Solomon, he's a lovely bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is a prince of peace. In Jeremiah, lamentation, he's our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's a glorious Lord. In Daniel, he's a fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's a faithful. I wish somebody help me preach right now. In Joel, he's the outpouring of the Spirit. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's our judge and savior. In Jonah, he's a risen prophet. In Micah, he's the ruler of the, of the world of, from Bethlehem. In Nahum, he's the, our stronghold. In Abaca, he's the watchman. In Zephaniah, he is the mighty one to save. In Haggai, he's the restorer. In Zechariah, he's our branch of David. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. Do we know who he is? Oh, you got faith. You got faith. Oh, this is going to get me, Pastor. This may be the last one. No. Will you have faith in me? Where's your faith? 
In Matthew, he's the king of Jews and the Messiah of Christ. In Mark, he's a servant and a miracle worker. In Luke, he's a baby in the manger, the son of man. In John, he's the son of God, the living word, the way, the truth, and life. In Acts, he is the savior of the world, the ascended Lord. In Romans, he's a justifier. First and second Corinthians, he's a resurrection, our comfort. In Galatians, he's our liberty. In Ephesians, he's the head of the church. In Philippians, he's our joy. In Colossians, he's my, he's, a, he's our completeness and the glue that holds the world together. First and second Thessalonians, he is the coming king. First and second Timothy, he's our mediator. In Philemon, he's our benefactor. In Titus, he's a blessed hope. In Hebrews, he's the perfecter of our faith. In James, he's the power behind our faith. In first and third, second Peter, he's the chief of shepherd and the cornerstone. In first and second, third John, he's the truth, the everlasting life. In Jude, he's the foundation of our faith and our security. In Revelation, he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is first. He is last. He is the beginning, and he is the final one. That's who Jesus is. Oh, I wish I had time to preach. All through the Bible. Listen, we have better opportunity to have faith in him because we have the history of who Jesus was. From Genesis to Revelation, he's revealed himself as being the author and the finisher of what? Our faith. You believe this is going to take you out. Will you believe that Jesus said, I can take you through? Oh, wow. He is the keeper of the creation, the creator of all. He is the architect of the universe, the manager of all time. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. He is unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, but never outdone. He is bruised and, and brought healing. He was pierced and he eased our pain. He was persecuted and he brought freedom. He was dead and he brought life. He, was, he is risen and he brings power. He reigns and he brings peace. The world can't understand him. Armies can't defeat him. Schools can't explain him. Leaders cannot ignore him. Herod, Herod could not kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him. The grave could not hold him. Nero could not crush him. Hitler could not silence him. Other religions cannot replace him. The world cannot explain him away. He is life. He is love. He is longevity. He is Lord. He is goodness. He is kindness. He is gentleness. And he is God. He is holy. He is righteous. He is mighty. He, can I just go on? He is powerful. He is pure. He is right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanged changing and his mind is upon us. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. He's my God and he is my peace. He is my joy and he is my comfort. He is my Lord and he rules my life. That's who Jesus is. Woo! Yes. Somebody said, oh, the Bible is just so boring. Not if you're reading it to find who he is. The disciples missed that when they got in the boat and Jesus said, let us go over to the other side. You understand that was a promise? I don't care what the storm did. I don't care what the rain or the wind did. They should have understood. It's his responsibility to get us to the other side, not theirs. See, some of you still don't know this. There's reason why you're in your little boat and you're just rowing. I'm just rowing back to feel. I'm just rowing. And I'm just trying so hard. Stop it. He's going to get you through that. 
Trust him to walk with you. Trust him to be there with you along that path. Write this down. Faith makes much of his promises, but fear forgets them. Come on, Pastor Lindsay. Fear forgets the promises of God. Faith makes much of them. Faith makes much of, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He didn't say I'm with you to 2022 or maybe 2020. No, I'm I'm with you to the end of the age. He isn't going to abandon us. You've got to grab a hold of this. Yeah, but this sickness and this disease is dominating. It doesn't matter. Storms are going to happen because we live in this broken world. Genuine faith rests in the power of God. Not our performance. Not our strength. Paul said in Ephesians 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong, not in yourself, but be strong in the Lord. Listen, faith is resting in his power, not our performance. The disciples easily forgot when the storm came that they never faced a situation in which Jesus wasn't the master. They never faced. Listen, he mastered everything. And he told them, you got to be careful what you hear. Where is your faith? Where, oh, I don't, yeah, you do, yeah, you got faith. But you're putting faith in the wrong thing. And you're putting faith on the wrong emphasis. I'm not saying faith ignores or puts their head in the sand and refuses to acknowledge the sickness, the disease, the, the relationship problem. No, I'm not seeing faith. That, but faith looks beyond those things and focuses it up on the power of God. We have a choice every day. Am I going to live by faith or will I live by human fear? When Jesus asked his disciples, where's your faith? It, it was an offer on his part to say, I want to be the object of your faith. I want to be the object of your, where's your faith? I want to be the object. Jesus said, let me be the object of your faith. When you trust me, when I'm the object of your faith, he, he gives us an invitation to cast all of our cares upon him, for he cares for us. See, faith in him moves us to the point where we can have devil chasing, debt canceling, bondage breaking, yoke destroying, mountain moving, ever increasing faith. <laughs> that, that's what, listen, when we put faith in him, faith in him, our object is Jesus. Jesus is the object of our faith. Devil chasing, debt canceling, bondage, bondage breaking, yoke destroying, mountain moving, ever increasing faith. So what's the action point? Real quickly, you don't have to write them down. I filled them in, but let me just give you some. Number one, expand your boundaries. Geographically, mentally, expand. God is no respect of persons. 
We have to be confident beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is no respecter person. We have to believe that he's able to do for us. He wants us to expand, expand our boundaries, geographically, mentally. We, he, uh, uh, Psalms 119 and 32, I will pursue your commands for you expand my understanding. God, I, I want my understanding of you and your power to grow. His word does it. Number two, elevate your conversation to higher spiritual and success level. Eliminate words like can't and quit and it won't happen and failure. Don't, don't think about that. Believe, listen, God calls. The Bible said God calls things that are not as though they were. We, we have to have thinking like God and looking at the Word of God and speaking like God and act on God. Jesus said you can have whatever you say. Most people turn that around and you say what you have. Hello? Some people come up for prayer. What can I pray for? Well, you know, Pastor, I've got this problem. I've got this problem. Well, I, that's what you have. What do you want? Jesus said, you can have whatever you say. We, listen, we have to start saying what we want instead of saying what we have. Some of you right there, just, just stop. Just think. When's the last time you spent time in your time with God saying what you want rather than spending 30, 40 minutes in there saying what you have. God, I've got this messed up family. Lord, I've got these cranky kids. I've got these demon-possessed whatever. No, stop saying what you have. Say what you want. A woman whose husband had died, and, and she was lonely. Several years went by. She was very involved in the church up in Michigan. And... Uh, she come to the pastor one Sunday morning. She said, Pastor said, my husband passed away, and, and I've been praying for God to give me another husband. It hasn't happened yet. And the pastor said, I want you to go to the store and buy a pair of men's pants. She said, what size? She said, he said, what size of husband you want? She said, 30, my husband was 34, 32. He said, get a 34, 32 pair of pants. He said, take them home, hang them on your bed. And every night, I want you to pray. This is what you pray. Now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord will not send me a creep. It's a good place to start right there, right? Come on. I thank you, Lord, for my dogs, my cats, and my plants. Now, Lord, send me a man to fill these pants. <laughs> True story. She did it. She started praying that. Went to the store every night. Now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord won't send me a creep. Thank you for my dog, my cats, my plants. Now, Lord, send me a man to fill these plants. Weeks went by. Months, nothing happened. She went back to the church on a Sunday morning after service. She said, Pastor, she said, give me your tie. He said, why? She said, my husband always loved to dress up. He wore a tie. I feel like I need to add to my prayer. So she took her tie from the pastor, went home, prayed, now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord don't send me a creep. I thank you for my dogs, my, my, my cats, and my plants, and I send me somebody to fill these pants. But then she added, Lord, you know I love you. And that's no lie. So send me a man to wear this tie. <laughs> True story. A few weeks after that, she was at a, high school reunion, she 
met a guy that was sweethearts, bows, early in high school. They reconnected. Come to find out his wife had died the same day that her husband died, and he had been praying. I don't know what he had been praying for women, but I know what she had been praying. And he had been praying. They hooked up. They end up getting married a few weeks later, and they're still serving God together, serving in the church. Why? Because, listen, you get what you ask for. Stop saying what you got and speak what you want. That's good preaching right there. So number three, what do we do? We we expect divine appointments and supernatural connections. As we pursue God and we pursue for a higher level of God working in our lives, our expectations need to rise. These disciples wasn't done. They got over to the other side, and man, a guy that had a legion of devils in him ends up getting free. This guy had been living out among the cemetery. God was doing greater things. Folks, listen, the best days of the church is not in the past. Stop believing that lie. Stop believing that people ain't going to go to church anymore. People don't want to. Listen, stop believing that lie. There's a hunger going on in America right now. God is moving by his spirit. We need to start expecting supernatural connections every day. I had a supernatural connection last night. I believe that. I believe there was a supernatural connection. I don't know what's going to come out of it, but I believe seeds were sown. Something's happening. Number, number last one. I got to quit. Go, come on, go ahead and stand. This is in your notes. You don't have to write it down. Energize your faith every day. How do you energize your faith? Simply by staying in the Word of God, reading the Word. I, you don't have to read it an hour every day. Just start focusing on. Galatians 5 and 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcised or uncircumcised counts for anything, but only faith activated and energized and expressed. You see there? Activated, energized, expressed, and working. To love. God doesn't want us to have dead faith. It blows some of your mind if I, if I tell you what I'm already dreaming. I'm already dreaming past the Sunshine Center. Sunshine Center is going to happen. It's, I don't know when. I don't know how, but it's going to happen. But I'm already dreaming for something else. Why? That energizes my faith. That, that brings my faith to the point that, that I, as it gets energized, I can activate it and express it. Don't, don't believe this is the best there is. It'll never get no better than this. Yes, it will. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.